Welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I'm Eva Lanza, a professor in civil engineering and blogger on the side. And I am Sarah Cameron, PhD student and work in organizational psychology. In this podcast, we talk about PhD research and interview current PhD candidates, as well as those who work closely with them. We hope you'll stick around. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PhD Talk podcast. Today is episode 56 and we will be talking about writing a research proposal. We selected this topic because Sarah is in the midst of wrapping up her research proposal. So today's episode will be centered around the experience of Sarah writing her proposal and then as well a discussion on how other universities internationally approach the research proposal, whether that's a part at all of the research or the PhD trajectory, and some other general discussions on writing proposals. So with that said, Sarah, you are at the beginning of your PhD and you're writing a research proposal. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about the timeline of the PhD in Belgium and how the proposal fits in there? Yeah, absolutely. So this proposal that I'm applying for now is one that PhD students typically do before they actually start their PhDs or before they're even offered a position. So uh, oftentimes uh, students will maybe do a six-month internship or something at the university, uh, maybe as a research assistant or teaching assistant, um, and in that period apply for this uh, funding proposal. And the proposal is gives you guaranteed funding for two years and you can then extend for an additional two. And I think unless there's, you know, big mistakes made in the first two years, most people do end up getting the funding for the full four. I, and so in my case, it's a little bit different because I've already actually started the PhD um, on a different project. But um, writing this proposal has sort of given me a good, uh, I guess, some, some boundaries to the, the first few months of the PhD and something specific to work on, which I know uh, for a lot of people in the first few months of the PhD, it can just sort of feel a little bit overwhelming and confusing of what exactly you're meant to be doing all day. Um, and so for me, writing the proposal is actually quite nice because it gave me uh, some, some structure and some deadlines uh, to work towards. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a bit more about uh, who would be funding the proposal and what is typical as a source of funding in, for Belgium universities? Yeah, so in Belgium, it's a little bit uh, confusing at times, I would say, because there is many different funding bodies. Uh, and so this proposal is uh, from the FWO, which is a Flemish funding body. Um, but I do have colleagues who are applying for funding uh, from the, the Belgian government. Um, and then there's also funding that you can apply for uh, if you're in, you're in the French-speaking part of Belgium. So uh, I'm fortunate that I have uh, supervisors and colleagues who are well-versed in the different channels you can go to for funding. Um, And yeah, as I said, this one is specifically uh, for students at Flemish universities. When it comes to FWO funding, what is sort of the chance, average chance of success? So it depends exactly on the stream that you're applying for. And I can touch on this a little bit later that for these PhD uh, grants, there's really two streams. The one that I'm applying for, it depends again on uh, what uh, your your research area is, but I think it's somewhere between 10 and 20%. Um, in psychology, everyone says that, oh, psychology is so much harder to get because uh, you're grouped in with social and 
humanities or social sciences and humanities. And so you may have a political scientist reviewing uh, your your funding proposal, um, which, you know, obviously psychology and political science are quite different. And so that's what my colleagues have said is that, you know, psychology is... uh, uh, tougher. It's tougher as a psychologist mm-hmm. to get these these grants, but um, it changes every year. I don't know. Maybe that's something that every department says. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's harder for them. Who knows? And has it become harder over the years? Is that something that people have been discussing because there's more people applying for the same amount of money? I think that's definitely true. And I know uh, certainly between, you know, fortunately within our department, there isn't a culture of competition at all. Um, but I think sometimes maybe between universities or between research groups at universities, there is a sense of uh, competition there because funding is scarce. And for many PhD mm-hmm. students, this is really their one chance to get a funded position. And so uh, it feels, you know, for many people, like there's a lot riding on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it just comes to my mind that long ago when I was at the University of Brussels that I had mm. the impression that if you wanted to do a PhD in engineering and applied to FWO, you had good chances of getting funding. Mm. Um, but that may be as well because that's a long time ago and potentially also because there's just less people studying engineering in general. Yeah, my I again I don't know the exact numbers, but my my hunch is that in engineering it is maybe there's more funding available. Particularly the the stream that I'm applying for is one where there's the 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 funding agency is really looking for an application um from the research that's conducted and so mm-hmm. uh depending on your field it might be um easier or harder to come up with a potential application and I can imagine that in engineering there would be many um and so maybe that makes it uh there's a higher chance of success um mm-hmm. but no it's certainly not uh by any means a, a guarantee that you'll get it at least uh yeah. you know in a psychology yeah. department mm-hmm. you were talking about the two streams that uh, are there in the funding so could you tell us a bit more about what these streams are and how the proposal would be different depending on these streams Mm-hmm. So the first stream is the one that I briefly mentioned earlier. It's strategic basic research. And that's really research with the goal of at the end of it, there is an application for industry. Uh, the other stream is fundamental research, and that's more focused on conducting innovative novel research. Um, and the I mean, really, the only difference between the two is that uh, the latter, the the fundamental research, should be a little bit more cutting edge, and there's no necessity for a real world application. Although now, having written the strategic basic research funding application, it's only really at the very end that you have to discuss what the um, applications might be. The focus is still on on the research, I would say. Mm-hmm. So that for the contents of, or the requirements for funding, how about your experience writing the proposal? What what was it like? Um, it's a good thing you're asking me this now and not three weeks ago, because my answer might have been <laughs> very different then. There were definitely some days where I was telling my colleagues that I was you know, seriously considering throwing my laptop out the window because I was just <laughs> <laughs> done with it. Um, but, you know, starting off, as, as I said earlier, I felt like it was actually a nice thing to work on in the first few months because it gave me structure um, and clarity, which uh, is something that I enjoy, but just does not 
often happen at the beginning um, or you don't often get that at the beginning of a PhD. I think it was something that took me a lot longer than I expected. You know, you read the requirements and think, okay, maybe a few weeks of work. And I think now looking back, I mean, of course, I've been doing other things as well, but I've been working on this since November. So, uh, and I'm, I'm just now finishing. I I guess I'd compare it to writing any paper or, you know, working on a master's thesis that there's times of extreme frustration, but now I feel like uh, the, the hard work has paid off and, you know, I, I'm quite happy with it and my supervisor is as well. So um, I feel like I've come full circle now that I've developed a proposal that if I were to get the funding, I would actually be very excited to go about doing this research, but uh, it wasn't uh, smooth sailing the whole way through by any means. As, as is for virtually all the elements of a PhD, I would yeah. say. <laughs> exactly. It's just, just part of it. And what did you learn in the process of writing this proposal? That's a great question. And I think something that I'm just starting to understand better now, because I'm now only four or five months in, I guess, to the PhD, is just uh, better time management. You know, having worked in industry, your tasks, are, at least when I was working in industry, my tasks were always much smaller. So they might take a day or two max, whereas the uh, the tasks that you're assigned as a PhD student might take you months. And so I always found budgeting my time was something that uh, I struggled with when when writing this proposal. And I imagine that's you know still a skill that I'm going to develop um, over the next couple of years. But I think writing this proposal sort of reminded me that, okay, this is something I need to think a little bit more seriously about and not just um, give a ballpark figure of how long it's going to take, but actually look at the specific components and um, think a little bit more critically about how it's going to fit into uh, my agenda, given the other responsibilities that I have. I think something else that I learned, and I, I think this is something that probably comes up when you're writing any proposal, is um, the balance between uh, striving for something that's really novel and innovative versus something that's actually doable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think, you know, funding bodies are also assessing that. They they want to see that it's, you know, research that is hopefully groundbreaking, but also that you're actually uh, capable of doing that research. And so uh, trying to strike that balance was something that I worked on quite a lot with my, my supervisor, um, particularly because, you know, we're using human participants as, as psychologists. And so there are constraints there in terms of how much um, time you can you can get from the participants, um, and so that was something that I, I you know struggled with at times, and hopefully we struck the the right balance. And then I think the other thing was just um, remembering that with this proposal, at least, it's not being reviewed by other psychologists, and so uh, making sure that I'm including enough detail that uh, it's clear, but also not so much that I'm completely confusing people who aren't familiar with uh, the subjects that I plan to be um, exploring in my research. And so uh, that was also something that was definitely a a learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. And what are the next steps you, we were chatting a little bit before starting this recording and you were mentioning that you're working on the very last details of the proposal. What are the next steps on the timeline of submission and then review by the expert panel? Yeah, so I will submit um, hopefully somewhere next week. It's really just the last uh, few administrative things to, to check off now. 
And then I believe in June, we will hear back about whether or not we've moved on to the next uh, stage of assessment. And then with the FWO grants, they have a defense period. And so uh, you would go, I think it's in September, um, in person now, hopefully, um, COVID allowing, and you would uh, be asked questions by a panel about your proposal. Um, and depending on how that defense goes, they then decide whether or not to grant you the funding. Fingers crossed then. Mm, thank you. Right. So that's a little bit about the proposal in the context of doing a PhD in Belgium. Now, of course, there's differences across countries. And in the Netherlands, we actually, if we ask students to write a proposal, it's part of the evaluation of candidates. So it's more something that we use during the selection process to see the ability of a student to frame a research question rather than the student applying for funding. We typically as staff members apply for funding and then have a grant mm. or the, the, the funding reserved and the ability to hire a student on that funding. So that's mm. how it usually works, at least within our research group in the Netherlands. Right. And when you're reviewing proposals then from potential PhD students, what sorts of things are you looking for in those proposals or what sorts of things make them stand out? Uh, what we typically look for is an ability to digest the literature and identify an interesting topic to study mm. and how they turn that into a research question. And right trying not to show something that's incremental in development, but that really looks at a new application or uh, something that's really still missing in the literature. Mm, yeah, right. Well, I, I hope I've done that with my proposal, fingers crossed. <laughs> and we also look at the writing and the clarity of argumentation mm -hmm. as just general skills of somebody starting out and, and seeing the potential of somebody to do a, a doctorate. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like, uh, you know, because we had an interview just, I guess, last week or the week before with uh, Anna Clemens, who was a writing coach, and I was thinking of her often as I was working through the proposal <laughs> and how, uh, yeah, that to in order to have a clear writing, you need to be, have clear thoughts or be a clear thinker. Um, and just how important that is, especially in the proposal stage, but I guess just throughout a PhD as well, that it's maybe one of the less trained skills that uh, I think really can make or break your, your experience in a PhD. Absolutely. And so, I mean, now, of course, I'm relatively familiar with how funding works in Belgium and, and having applied to PhDs in the Netherlands, I have a decent understanding of how it works there. What do you know about how funding works um, for PhD students in the US or in Canada? In terms of funding, there is a large number of options in the United States. I'm not quite sure about Canada, but they can link to the uh, episode that we did a while ago where Rico explained how he obtained the funding for his PhD. Mm -hmm. um, But within the United States, typically the proposal is itself is part of the doctoral trajectory and it's not the proposal to obtain funding, but it's a proposal actually to show the committee 
which is typically in in US, the committee is actually involved during pretty much the entire course of the PhD trajectory of a candidate. There, the committee will evaluate the feasibility of the study. So typically it's somewhere halfway the, um, the PhD trajectory after doing the coursework, after passing the qualifying exams, then when the student has the time to devote to the research, they will already do the preliminary research and then propose their how they will do the research, present mm-hmm. the proposal, and then they get the green light to write the dissertation and sort of finalize the work of the, the research itself. So that's how right. it's typically structured as more a formative step rather than really uh, a method to gain funding. Right, because they would already have funding at that point if they're yes, already yes. two years or so yes. in. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. And is that, I wonder then, is that something that they would work on alongside their coursework typically in the US or would they wait until their courses are finished and then only would they start? I think it's in line with the last semesters of coursework in mm. general. I'm speaking here from what I've seen uh, people do within engineering fields. So it mm. may be a little bit more drawn out or uh, stretched out over time in the humanities as their PhD trajectories tend to be longer as well. Right. And what do you think might be the pros and cons of the American versus the more European model where you would have a proposal either at, you know before you even start the PhD or potentially two two years in? That's a very broad <laughs> question of course because it, it, it requires a, giving a judgment of in about two different systems of doing the PhD and the American system with the large coursework is much more focused on still the PhD candidate as a student, Mm. whereas the European approach sees the PhD candidate as a junior researcher. So those are two very different philosophies and I think we, we'd need research yeah. results to actually say which one is best in terms of training researchers. Um, yeah. There is pros and cons to both. I know that for myself, I really enjoyed the fact that I was considered a junior researcher and was left to my own devices and could do as I please and didn't have to take yeah. courses. Um, so there's there's a lot to say there, but on the other hand, taking being able to take courses at a doctoral level and sharpening your knowledge and learning from the professors that are available there as you have in large American universities is also very valuable. So saying which one is better is uh, uh, it's impossible, difficult. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it probably depends also on on the person and on the mm-hmm. PhD candidate and what they're they're looking for. But I can definitely relate that when I was applying to PhDs, I did apply in Canada as well, seeing as that's where my family is. But I at this stage just didn't want to be in a classroom, and I knew I just wanted to start right away with the research. And so that was a pretty big kind of influencing factor in why I chose to stay in Europe. But I think, yeah, I mean, there's there's pros and cons probably to both approaches, but it depends on, on the person and what they're looking for. Certainly. 
And so as someone who's uh, now, you know, well into their academic career, what stories can you share about uh, working on funding proposals as a more seasoned academic? Yeah, so in in the years after my PhD, I've worked on a number of proposals for various funding bodies, some with success and some without success. Um, I, I've applied for funding to... Where I've been most successful is with the Dutch Ministry of Infrastructure and the Environment, um, because they their needs are very much in line with the type of research that we can offer, because they are the rich owners and the type of research that we do is very much related to solving problems for them. So there, the chance of getting funding is higher, I would say, than when you apply to, for example, European funding. Uh, I've I've been involved with a number of groups of researchers and universities, which they call uh, a consortium of universities and industry partners to apply for European funding. And what I've learned from that is that it's much more difficult to get European funding. So far, I have uh, not been successful in getting any European funding. Uh, I've uh, a number of times we've been on the waiting list saying, okay, Mm -hmm. if uh, one of the other consortia does not go through, then you may have a chance of being uh, amongst the lucky ones. But then that hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Um, I've also applied here within my university in Ecuador for small funds to do research. And that has, but these are very small funds and have been successful with that as well, which... um, has typically helped me cover some travel expenses and get the computer that I'm now using here, mm-hmm. uh, some some other laboratory equipment and some other funding for books and things like that. Um, but since this is mostly a teaching-based institution, it does not, we don't have a doctoral program, for example, so there is no uh, routes towards getting funding to hire a PhD student here. So right. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And in your day-to-day or months-to-months now, how much of your time would you say is spent on uh, working on funding proposals? It really depends where I am and uh, what the timeline is. I would say that when it comes to funding for research for my position in the Netherlands, I'm pretty much fully covered until mid-2023. So I'm actually over maximum capacity of uh, what I can book in terms of research hours. So Mm. I need to get started in in thinking what is going to happen after that. Um, So I am involved again with... Uh, consortia for European funding to see if there's uh, something that will come up along that way. Um, but other than that, it, it really depends on when a call comes out. And then um, yeah. that's the moment that a lot of time is spent on writing a proposal. But it's not that it's a continuous part of my week to week. It's more in bursts of work. Yeah. Yeah, and when the deadline is looming, it might be many <laughs> long hours, but mm-hmm. then 
not again for another two months or maybe even years, I suppose, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And what is it about, maybe this is an ignorant question, but what is it about the EU funding that makes it so much more maybe competitive? Because as, as a PhD student, I've also noticed that that for you know certain postdoc positions, it's much easier to go to mm-hmm. uh, your national government within Europe than to directly to the EU. I think it's the sheer volume of applications for European funding. It's just uh, mm. the the budget is limited and the number of applications increases every time. And that's at, at some point people have compared it to, to a lottery that there's a certain threshold of, of quality and anything over that threshold is almost like a, like a lottery. Wow. It's a little uh, disheartening to hear that because you know how much work goes into every proposal. So uh, I can imagine that must be frustrating that, you know, it's something you work so hard on and how much uh, of a shot do you really even have or how much difference does it make? The difference does it make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's from yeah. my perspective of engineering, which tends to be better funded than some other research branches because you have the direct application to uh, to industry and the industry partners and it's still super difficult and you know something that i saw when i because i did my master's in a business faculty um at the vu in amsterdam and something that i saw when i was there was that there were some phd positions that were funded by industry or by corporations is that also common within your field Yes, so we even have, we see more and more than uh, people do their PhD part-time and they maybe have the funding fr- partially from their workplace or they may be uh, partially funded from industry when it's uh, related to a direct application. We also see that more and more in the professional doctorates. So. Within engineering, we have, of course, the, the typical PhD, but we also have the, the PDN, the professional doctorate mm. in engineering. And that's very often directly related to a need in the industry and an industrial sponsor. Mm. But I imagine that would require a very different kind of uh, research proposal than one that might be sent mm-hmm. to a you know, the FWO or uh, an EU funding body. Certainly, yes. And that's also, I think the program is two years. So it's a Mm. shorter program as well. Okay, interesting. So this was episode 56 of the PhD Talk podcast in which we discussed writing a research proposal. We discussed with Sarah her experience in writing the research proposal at the beginning of her PhD. And then we looked at other applications of the research proposal in uh, internationally, as well as writing proposals for funding. That is everything for today. And we'll be back next week with more on PhD Life and Research Mechanics. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>